Daniel was a servant of King Darius. The king liked him and decided to make him the leader of his whole kingdom. The other leaders weren't really a fan of this idea, so hatched a plan to get rid of Daniel. They went to the king and asked that he make a new law. One where no one was to pray to any god or man except to the king. If they did, they would be thrown into the lion's den. Ouch. The king agreed and the law was passed. The leaders knew that Daniel wouldn't stop praying to God. And they soon caught him in the act and told the king. He was upset, but couldn't go back on his word. The plan had worked. Daniel was arrested and thrown to the lions. The next day, the king went straight back, removed the stone lid and called Daniel. out to Daniel. And Daniel replied. God had sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth. There wasn't a scratch on him. He was lifted out of the den. And Darius had all the men who had falsely accused Daniel thrown to the lions. Who gobbled them up. He then made it law that people should fear and revere Daniel's God. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed it, why not subscribe? <laughs> I mean, you can subscribe. Uh, so most of you probably, if you ever went to church as a little kid, uh, even if you didn't, uh, many of you are probably familiar with that story, Daniel and the Lion's Den. Um, and, and there's several stories in Daniel that, uh, the story of the fiery furnace, um, where these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, get thrown in the fiery furnace. That's another popular story as a kid that you get told. Um, if you watch the VeggieTales version, that they were worshiping, I think, a chocolate uh, image, right? In a chocolate factory. Um, and so these are like stories that we are familiar with. And I think a lot of times you can think of Daniel when you hear uh, about the book of Daniel. You can think about these stories that you learn as a kid, right? That they are just, like this is the epitome of like kids children's uh, Bible stories that you learn in Sunday school, right? Um, but what I want your mindset to be as we talk through Daniel tonight uh, is think of it this way. This is what I think is a better description of the book of, of Daniel, not just like this adventure book where we can talk to kids about these cool things that happen, but I think uh, the better way to look at it is I, I think this is a great manual to, um, for us to read to look at how not to be a jerk Christian, uh, how not to be a jerk Christian where we're living in this time um, where God uh, doesn't seem to be in control of a lot of things, uh, living in a godless uh, world, a godless society. Uh, and so we're going to look at Daniel kind of through that lens tonight as we walk through this uh, to kind of fill you in if you haven't been with us. So we've been going through all of Scripture from the very beginning, uh, starting last year. Uh, we started in Genesis, and we've been working our way through. Uh, the whole point is to show you that the gospel is uh, the thread of the gospel through all of Scripture from beginning to end. That in the entire thing, it's about Jesus. It's about God rescuing us through Jesus uh, from the very beginning of when man first chose to sin in the garden, uh, and that relationship with God was broken, the relationship that was perfect, uh, was broken when man chose to sin, and then from that point on in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, it's been about God trying to rescue his people and constantly pursuing them, constantly pursuing a relationship with them, even when they run away, even when they choose to go a different direction, even, even when they choose to follow a different direction, that he's constantly pursuing them um, and trying to rescue them and rescue his people. And so this group of people in the Old Testament that he kind of set apart, and again, the goal was that this group of people would live their lives in a way under laws that he gave them, 
that would set them apart so that when they lived out their life, it pointed people to who God is. Like that was the point, and that was the purpose of setting this group of people, the people of Israel, apart. Uh, we talked about that they, that they began to fight amongst each other, and, and then their, their kingdom was split from, into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Um, and then some prophets came, these guys that literally heard from God verbally. They gave them a message to say, hey, go tell my people they need to follow me in these ways, and if they don't, then this is the punishment that will happen to them. And so prophets went to these two nations, this one nation split into two groups, uh, and, and tried to warn them uh, that if they didn't change, that God was going to punish them. Uh, they didn't listen to those warnings, and so a group of people called Assyria came in and took over uh, the nation of Israel, and then a group of people, uh, the nation of Babylon, came in and took over the people of Judah. And so that's where we were last time. Uh, the book of Daniel, this is important for you to know, takes place after the people, uh, the Babylonian people, came and took uh, Judah, and then they took the people of Judah and removed them from their towns, from their homes, and took them back to Babylon uh, and exiled them there in Babylon. And so that's where Daniel takes place. Daniel is one of these guys, as we read through chapter 1, um, we'll see that. But Daniel is one of these guys that was taken from his home, taken into this other country uh, by this group of people. And then, uh, like we read a few weeks ago, uh, that there was going to be a period of 70 years for the people of Judah that they were going to be held captive in Babylon. And so that's a really long time. Uh, and so they're in this time period of captivity uh, that's going to last for quite some time. Uh, and the book of Daniel is, is really Daniel looking back on his life uh, and giving us kind of the highlights of what happened uh, in his life. And so if you read through the first six chapters of Daniel, uh, it's really his life story in, in that time period of exile. Uh, the last six chapters are all prophecy, and it'll get you really confused probably if you don't know much about prophecy. Um, so the first six chapters are more of the narrative of his life. Uh, we're going to be mainly talking about chapter 1 and chapter 6. Uh, and so if you want to turn there and ch to chapter 1, we'll, we'll get back to the li lion's den. That's chapter 6, but we're going to start in chapter 1. Uh, if you have a Bible, if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, I'm sure. Or if you're in the very front row, it's underneath the bench there. Uh, there's a table of contents at the beginning if you need to find out where Daniel is. It's a little bit past the middle. Uh, but we're going to look at Daniel's life. And again, I think as you look at Daniel's life and as he's in this place um, where he's been taken from his home into this different culture, uh, that we get a really good picture of what it looks like to not be a jerk Christian, which so many Christians are jerks in the way that they treat other people. Uh, and so that's really what I want to highlight through his life tonight. Uh, so Daniel chapter 1. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoi Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So, what you need to know at the beginning of this, uh, like this is, the, I think, one of the cornerstones of why Daniel acts the way that he does throughout the rest of this. So Daniel's like a teenager at this time, okay? And then when we get to the time of the lion's den, he's more of like, it's like 50 years have passed between chapter 1 and chapter 6. Um, but in chapter 1, he's a teenager. 
Uh, and so this guy, the king Nebuchadnezzar, comes to Judah. And like I said, that Babylon comes uh, and they take over. Uh, but what you need to know and what Daniel knew, again, Daniel's writing this, right? Verse 2 says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Who gave? The Lord gave. So I think what Daniel understood, which allows all this, the rest of the stuff that we're going to talk about to play out, is that he understood God was in control at all times. This is something if I've ever prayed for you, and especially in the past two years, it's probably something I've stated or I've said in that prayer that, God, you are in control always. Because even in these times of crisis in your life where you feel like everything is spinning out of control, God is always, always, always in control. And sometimes he will even allow people that are evil to take over and assume control of something, right? And he's not afraid of that. Just remember this at all times. God is in control of the people in control, always. He has ultimate authority. This idea that, 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 that anybody has real authority outside of God himself, it's not, it's not true. God has ultimate authority all the time. If you, if you haven't read a lot of scripture, then maybe you don't know. Uh, I think I had, this, I had this false idea growing up that, um, that Satan was in hell, just kind of chilling in hell. Uh, with a pitchfork, you know, and fire all around him and just ready for people to drop down there so he can, like, torture them, right? What, what Scripture says is that Satan right now, currently, is the god of this world. And you see multiple places in Scripture where, where it says that Satan is in charge of this world that we live in right now for a time. But the only reason that he is in charge of this world right now is because God lets him be in charge. God allows him to be in charge of some, some, some things here for a little while. But scripture also says that that, one, that, day, that that will change one day. And he will take away any authority that, that he has given to Satan to rule this world. But know that, that we shouldn't be surprised when we see a world that hates God and a world that wants us to pursue money and sex and drugs and alcohol, and those kind of things, because this is, the God of this world is Satan. But ultimate authority, ultimate power is in God himself. And, and Daniel knew that. He knew that even though this, these people, so what I want you to do is, is think about this as much as you can. It's hard to imagine, and I used this in my group uh, last week. The best thing I can think of is like all these uh, the, ISIS and all that stuff that you hear in the news about ISIS and, and these people in the Middle East and, and in Syria, that if they came to the United States and took over and took all of us back to the Middle East with them, they came and took over the United States, ruled the United States, and took us back to their homeland, and then taught us their whole culture, and, and we had to live there for 70 years. Like, that's where Daniel's at, right? He's taken as a teenager, he's taken at an age that most of you are at around your age, right? He's taken into this foreign land uh, and, and, and removed from everything that, that he's known. We'll, we'll read a little bit more about that in a second. But from the very beginning, he knows that the Lord allowed that to happen. And I think that fact is what allows him to be humble and have the wisdom that he has throughout the rest of this that we're going to talk about. So know that. Know that truth. Believe that truth that that God is always in control, 
always. Why does that matter? Well, one of the reasons that is very clearly coming up that a lot of people have a lot of problems with is that whether Hillary Clinton is our president or Donald Trump is our president, God is in control. It seems like a lose-lose situation to me right now. But God is always in control, even in that. He's in control of who's in control. Don't forget that. Daniel never forgot that. In the midst of being taken out of his home, being held captive, having to work for and be around these godless kings, he remembered every time who was in control. Uh, It said that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So it was kind of like a trophy. So the king comes in, Babylon comes in, takes over Judah, uh, takes all these vessels, all these items from the temple, uh, the house of God, takes all these things, right? And, and then he puts them in, in the house of his God, a pagan God. It's kind of like, hey, here's my trophy because we took you over. My God's better than yours because your stuff for your God is going to be sitting in, in the house that I have for my God. And so it's mocking God. Uh, and so then it goes on, verse 3, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent uh, to stand in the king's palace. Again, remember Daniel's writing this about himself. Youths without blemish, so really good-looking guys, uh, good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, uh, and competent to the, stand in the king's palace. So basically what that's saying is when they came in and they took people, They took the best of the best, so the best-looking people, uh, the smartest people, the ones that were best-looking, smartest, all the things that you think, like, okay, you're you're top uh, notch of all these people that we're taking, all the people of Israel. He found the best of the best, and the king said, take those people and teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Uh, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that the king drank, and they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Um, so here's what happens. So they, so they get taken. They get chosen. Daniel and his three dudes, they get taken as a part of this group that is going to be educated for three years. So for three years, they're going to teach them their culture. Uh, if you read and study like what their culture was, so this is like stuff like learning astrology. It talks about magicians, so it's talking about like uh, what we would call the occult or um, witchcraft or magic and things like that. That they're teaching them these things, right? And teaching them the ways of their culture, those those kind of things, all their literature in that, and the ways of their culture, and the ways of their godless culture for three years. So it would be like waking up and going to class every morning and learning about these people, the Babylonians, what they believe, uh, the gods that they believe in, and that's what you're studying for three years. And then before, at the end of that, they're going to stand before the king, and he's going to kind of test them and see which ones are the best of all of them. And during that time, they're given some food. It says they're provided the daily portion that the king gave them, the same thing that the king ate. Uh, And so in my mind, 
If that's me, right, maybe if that's you, and you get taken, and then these people tell you to learn all about their culture, and say you're, you're a Christian, you follow God, and they're telling you to learn all their culture and learn about their stuff and teach you about the occult and witchcraft and things like that, uh, that I would have a lot of pushback on that. That's something that I would probably, I feel like I would want to stand ground on, and I'm not going to like, no, I'm not going to read that. I don't want to study that. I'm not going to learn that. That's not what I believe. And, and, and I would eat the food that they gave me, and I would be happy with that, and I would just like try to fight learning that stuff. Like that's what makes sense in my mind. But look at what Daniel does. We don't see him fight any of that education, any of that learning but in verse 8 it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. Uh, for why should, you, why should he see that you were in worse condition than the use are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So what he's saying is, Daniel says, I don't want to eat that food. So, again, he doesn't fight any of the learning for three years. Uh, they even changed their names. All, three, all four of those guys, all their names have something to do with who God is. Like Daniel's God is my judge. That's what his name means. Uh, Hananiah means God has favored. Uh, Mishael means uh, he, he is what God is. And Azariah means Jehovah has helped. And then they literally changed their names to have them, and I don't know the exact translations, uh, but all their names have to do with pagan gods. So they changed their name from being defined as these people who are God's people. And then their names even now mean that they're following these other gods. But he doesn't fight that either. He doesn't fight the name change. What he does fight is what food he's going to eat. And to me, that seems like the smallest thing to fight. And so he says, like, I don't want to eat this. Um, and then the, the guy that's in charge of them is afraid because he says, like, if you are skinnier than everybody else because I let you do this, then I'm going to get killed because I'm the one in charge of you. And so in verse 11, Daniel says to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. So he said, just do it for 10 days. And if it's not good, then you can decide what you want from there. But just give us 10 days and let us try this out, right? Let us eat just vegetables and water uh, and see how we compare to everybody else who's eating all the king's food. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were in better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and, and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So after the 10 days, they're bigger uh, healthier than all the other guys. And so he lets them eat what they want to eat. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, the three years, when the king had commanded they should be brought back in, uh, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, he kind of quizzes them, right? Uh, spoke with them, and among all of them, none of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. 
And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so they get tested. After three years of learning all this stuff, and it says, yeah, it says God gave them learning and skill in verse 17 and all literature and wisdom. Uh, but again, three years of that, I don't think that God just said like, poof, you're going to know everything better than everybody else. I think they worked really hard still. I think they worked really hard and applied themselves to learn as much as they could about this foreign culture. They like dove in and learned as much as possible that they could learn. Be like you learning as much as you could about what it means to be a Muslim. Some people, your parents maybe even would think that might be really dangerous. And like you might want to fight back on that, right? Or what does it mean to be a Mormon or whatever? Like learning as much as you can about that religion and that culture. And so they did that and God gave them some skill in that. But I think they worked really hard for three years in doing that. And they didn't fight that at all. And then the result of that is that they were ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all this kingdom. So, and people that grew up their whole lives around this culture, knowing this culture, being taught this culture, compared to those people, they were ten times better in all their answers. And so because of that, because of their faithfulness in that, they were given a, a, a higher position and more influence. As you see, this continues to happen through all of Daniel. That Daniel and these three guys keep getting higher and higher positions because of their obedience and them working hard and them uh, doing all these things, right? So before we go to chapter 6, my point in this that I want to think through is like when I look at Daniel's life, again, I would think you would fight reading all that stuff and reading about this whole different religion and a whole different culture and that you would want to like fight back on that. And he picks the fight that he, the, the, the battle that he picks is one against food. Why? Well, at that time, if you are a follower of God, if you are God's people, part of God's people, the part of the laws that he gave his people were these food laws that you can read about in Leviticus. Uh, there's all different kinds of food laws of what they can eat and what they can't eat. And so apparently in the king's food, there were lots of things that they weren't supposed to eat. Directly a commandment from God himself. That's why Daniel picks that battle to fight. The battle he is fighting is I'm not going to disobey God directly. When I have a direct command from him, I'm not going to disobey him. And a direct command that he had from God was eat this food, don't eat this food. It's very black and white, very clear to him. He did not have a command that said don't study this, don't study that, don't study these things. Sure, he has commands that say, worship the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Like, follow God before any other gods, but it doesn't mean you can't read about other gods. That was not a command. And so he doesn't fight that battle. It's not a battle worth fighting. And so you see in Daniel's life, in this chapter, and as we move forward, if you get a chance, read through all of Daniel 1 through chapter 6. You see in his life over and over and over and over again that he has the wisdom to decide what battles to fight and which ones to ignore. And too often we pick battles to fight that we probably should be ignoring. Or we ignore battles to fight that we probably should be fighting. You have to have wisdom in that. I think every time when you look at Daniel's life, what it comes down to, how does he make that choice? It's, is this thing going to cause me to disobey God directly? If so, then I'm going to fight that battle. If not, then I'm probably just going to ignore it. Because it's not worth fighting. Uh, 
Go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should be given account, so that the king might suffer no loss. So then, verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So again, we see Daniel, again, this is like fast forward 50 years. And so he's still being faithful, apparently. You can read through that and you see that. Uh, but then he's, he's so faithful and he's continuing to uh, follow, uh, do what these kings ask of him well. But again, never, again, never if it's against his God and what he should do with his God. And so he's put over and in control of a lot of other people. So you have this foreigner this foreigner of Babylon leading other people that are locals, right? So it puts even more of a target on his back. And the king likes him so much, he puts him over more and more people. And more and more of these people that he's put over get mad at him. Haters going to hate, even back then, right? Uh, and so verse 4, these high officials uh, seek to find grounds to... Uh, complain against Daniel with the guard of the kingdom, but they couldn't find any ground to complain or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So Daniel's never cutting corners. Again, in my mind, if I am still in this place where I was taken out of my home and all these foreign leaders are the ones that I have to listen to and I have to obey, I would be really quick to kind of cut corners and not care that much about what they have to say because I don't agree with who they are. I don't agree with their culture. I don't agree with the with how they're living in their lives. But instead of fighting those things and fighting these people that were in charge of him, Daniel goes along and he's respectful. And he's kind to those people. And he continues to get more and more influence uh, as he treats people well. He says he has an excellent spirit was in, was in him. Uh, and he was set over all these things. And it said even in his job, he, he, they couldn't find any way to find fault in him. These guys that wanted to set him up, they couldn't find any way to find any fault in him and what he was doing and the decisions that he was making. And so they say, since we can't find any ground, um, the only way that we're going to find ground to uh, get him in trouble is in connection with the law of his God. They knew that. They knew enough about Daniel and the way that he lived his life that he would never, ever, ever go against the law of his God. And so they knew that was the only way that they could trap him. Um, and so they come and they set him up and they make this law. They get the king to make this law. Uh, hey, everybody needs to pray to you. And if they pray to anybody else, then they're going to be thrown in the lion's den. Of course, they know what Daniel's going to do. He's going to continue to pray to his God because that's, again, he's not going to worship other gods or people over his God. And so he is going to uh, gonna worship his God and pray to him. And what is that? What happens? He gets thrown in the lion's den. He gets... Uh, Saved and rescued from God, by God. And then the king comes out. And he's so excited that Daniel's saved in this. Because, again, the king liked him. Uh, the king wanted Daniel to be saved. But he knew he couldn't go against this long law. Or the king himself would have been killed. Um, and it says he's relieved that Daniel's alive. And then the people that set him up got thrown in the lion's den. And their children and their wives. So if you sin, it affects the people around you. Just know that. You can get your kids and your wives eaten by lions. Um, and then the king writes this to everybody. 
that in all my royal dominion, this is verse 26 of chapter 6, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So all the world at that time gets this decree from this king that you're going to respect the God of Daniel because of Daniel's obedience. So highlight real quick. Why does Daniel get all this influence and why does he get all this, uh, this way to like not just survive in this time of exile but to thrive in the middle of that? It's because he knows what battles to fight. He fights battles that are... Anything that's going to cause him to disobey God, he will f- stand ground on that. If it's not, then he, then he just ignores those things. And the other side of that that goes with that, that I think gives him the influence that he has, is that he's kind to all those people that he's around. Again, if it's me and I was taken out of my uh, home and I was taken by these people, I would have bitterness and anger towards those people. And I feel like the, every way I would interact with them, I'd probably just like roll my eyes whenever they asked me to do something. I would be openly aggressive or mean towards those people, but he is kind to those people at all times. These are people that don't love God, that are in charge of him, and he follows and obeys them, and he has such good relationships with them that the king is like weeping and crying and fasting when he thinks he's going to die. When he thinks Daniel's going to die in the lion's den, he fasts and it says he doesn't sleep all night because he cares about Daniel. Why? Because Daniel cared about him, obviously. So when I look at Daniel's life, um, how to not be a jerk Christian, even if people don't agree with you and are living lives that are in sin, don't distance yourself from those people and don't just straight up be mean to those people. That's what, that's what happens a lot of times. You have this us versus them mentality, and Daniel never had that. Even when he was taken from his home by pagan people that didn't love God, he treated them with respect and kindness and loved them. He didn't, like, put distance between them and say, like, oh, you're, you're different and I don't want to be anywhere near you. I think that's what happens sometimes is that we take things that, of people that we don't agree with, whether they're living their lives and following a different religion or if they're living a homosexual lifestyle, uh, that we just distance ourselves and, and we just say, like, oh, I'm just going to stay over here so I don't get infected by you. It's kind of like our mentality, I think. But everybody has sin in them, so you can't keep yourself from being infected by sin. You have sin in you. And when you look at Jesus' life, when he was here, he loved people. He hung out with people that got him in trouble because he shouldn't be hanging out with those people. He wasn't a jerk to those people. You know who he was angry at? Religious people that were pointing their fingers at these people. The people that Jesus gets mad at more than anybody else are the religious authorities that are constantly calling out what people are doing wrong. And so that would be the other thing I would say to you. Don't try to hold people that, okay, so what, what happens a lot of times is people that don't know God and, and don't have a relationship with them, we try to hold them to the standards of God. And that's stupid. I shouldn't expect my friends and, my, and the people that I know that don't know God and aren't Christians to live like Christians. That's dumb. If I try to tell them they should live their life this way because you can just, just love them. You can tell them about God when they ask you about him, but don't expect them to live their life for God if they don't even know him. You can call out your friends that you know love God and follow him if they're being idiots, sure. But not people that don't know him. 
So love people, be humble, uh, and pick the battles to fight. Don't fight stupid battles that you shouldn't be fighting. Fight ones that, if, they're gonna, if it's something that's going to cause you to disobey God and run from him, fight that battle. Everything else, you should probably let go.